Welcome to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Sunbury Press publishes print, electronic, and audiobooks under a variety of imprints and categories available worldwide wherever books are sold. And now your host, the founder and CEO of Sunbury Press, Lawrence Knorr. Coming at you live from the Christian Baker Farm near historic Boiling Springs, Pennsylvania. My guest today is Roger Smith, and he's the author of The Conductor, Ryan Krieger's Journey, Book One. It's Philadelphia, 1835. 11-year-old tomboy Ryan Krieger is getting an education in her father's factories. She's swept into the city's racial and economic turmoil when mentors introduce her to the Underground Railroad, the seamy world of fire brigades, and the abolition movement. Then Ryan and the new friend plot to help a house slave escape to freedom. The author, Roger Smith, has been fascinated by railroads, canals, the antebellum era, and social justice issues. He naturally gravitated to his first career as a high school history teacher. After 10 years of inspiring young people, he yielded to passions for which he had no formal training, co-owning a summer camp, farming, founding a participatory science museum, co-owning a wilderness expedition program for teenagers, teaching entrepreneurship at the college level, woodworking, and leading a rural arts organization. As an author, he draws lore and wisdom from all these professions and joy from the thought that he is once again making history come alive to his constituents. Roger and his wife lived and worked on a farm in central Pennsylvania for 41 years. They currently reside in Massachusetts with their Great Dane and two cats. They have three adult children and two grandchildren. Roger, what a life story. We could talk to you all day, I'm sure. Welcome. Hey, it's good to be here, Lawrence. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yeah. Well, obviously, we're here to talk about the book. And uh, I guess you and I go back a little ways to the Perry County Council of the Arts. I know uh, we met some years ago, and that organization was quite a fantastic undertaking, I'm sure. But um, maybe talk a little bit about what's brought you now after all these activities. Uh, why are you writing now? What, what was the impetus for that? Well, that's a that's a great question to to ask to start this out. Um, I think I've already always had the itch. Um, I, I don't think I was a particularly good writer um, until the uh, computer, the desktop computer, hit the hit the market, and then I found that I I was willing to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite my um, my words to the point where. Um, I actually had something to say, and uh, th this occurred when I was at the um, uh, the executive director of the Museum of Scientific Discovery in, in Harrisburg, and uh, as a result of that, I, I, I developed an itch, an itch to uh, write a novel, and I did write my first novel in the late 1980s, and I had an agent that got peddled all over New York City, and nobody was interested, so I went on to other things. But I think that itch always existed, and uh, three careers later, when I was the executive director of the Perry County Council of the Arts, which is a rural arts organization right in central Pennsylvania near you, um, uh, we created a um, course where an established author would meet and discuss the art 
of creating a novel. It was called a novel idea, mm-hmm. and uh, actually, in the novel idea, the business side, which came three years late after the novel idea, the creative side, you were a presenter in that. Yep. And uh, at one point, we decided that, uh, or I decided that even though I had no intention of getting back into the novel writing business, um, the itch still existed. So I yielded and all of a sudden the small project became very large. Yeah. Well, that, that was a great program. I remember coming to speak about the book business, about publishing many many of those authors looking to self-publish versus traditionally publish and i took yes. them through the uh the different variations of publishing and the pros and cons and you know, so and i think a few of the authors there we ended up publishing uh through sunbury which Press. is fantastic that worked out well for everybody and i feel as though what we learned from that and the novel idea still is being run Mm -hmm. um is that there's a lot of people who have a great amount of talent that just need a little bit of encouragement a little bit of uh schooling and then the the drive to make it happen yeah I, i also find it interesting that you your level of energy for writing is directly related to uh, information technology being available rather than having to retype your draft drafts on a typewriter, <laughs> which I can imagine would be frustrating. You know, it was, it was agony, um, for me in my college era and, and on, and then, um, flipped completely to becoming a joy. And, and yeah. I'm one of those people who just don't mind rewriting once um, once I've got it down on paper. Yeah, I remember the first story, short story I submitted as a writer um, some years ago, and I had to typewrite it on a typewriter, and I remember doing three or four rounds through it and getting sick of it and sending it in, and then they rejected it anyway. <laughs> so, uh, me, How frustrating. Yeah, so I, I started out writing fiction as well, but uh, immediately gravitated towards family history and writing writing history and biography, but... And that's another story for another time. Uh, so, uh, yes, you know that was a great program at PCCA, and and glad it's still there. Um, you know the the book you've written, I believe it's going to be a, a pretty long series. Maybe you could tell us about the goals you have with that series. Uh, I know we have book one out now, but uh, this isn't well, it isn't going to stop there. No, not at all. Um, one of the things that I did passionately for years uh, was uh, woodworking, and I uh, trained myself to become a furniture maker. And the more I did, the more complex my projects became. Um, I love dovetail joints and mortise and tenons, and and uh, even wooden parts that moved uh, with one another. My wife says used to mock me and say, uh, why make something difficult if you can make it extremely difficult? (laughs) And when I switched my passion to writing, uh, I think that same love of complexity uh, uh, worked its way into my books. So what uh, started out is one book uh, that was about uh, the Pennsylvania Canal and Charles Dickens and a murder and a uh, young woman dressed as a boy uh, became 
a, a series of nine books, mm-hmm. and and I have already uh, pretty much written the first four, um, and uh, the other five are are sketched out, and number nine is uh, I've got fifty thousand words, so I know exactly where I'm going. It's just a matter of of um, finishing the project, which uh, there's no doubt in my mind I'm going to do. And one of the things that I find is that um, if you work for hours every day, after a while, you've got a large body of work. Yeah. Well, writing one book is quite an undertaking for most people, but to uh, imagine nine and then begin to plan them out and then to write the first one in such a way that it's going to work is the opening of a series Um, I really have to laud you for that. We're going to have to take a break, Roger. We're going to be right back, and we're going to delve into this first book a little more. Listen for the Brown Posey Press podcast, available here on the BookSpeak Network. I'm Tori Gates, and my guests include fellow authors on our fiction imprint, but also other independent and self-published writers, poets, movers, and shakers in the literary world. Listen for current and previous shows here. The BookSpeak Network brings the story behind the stories and their creators here. All right, we're back talking to Roger Smith, the author of The Conductor and uh, a number of other books that are coming. And Roger, let's talk about this this first book, The Opener. Uh, I introduced it as Philadelphia 1835. So maybe you could expand on, on that a little bit, what we talked about in the opening. There were elements of uh, racial tension and economic turmoil. What was going on in 1835 in Philadelphia? Philadelphia is a novelist's dream setting. Uh, everybody hates everybody. Uh, at, at the time in Philadelphia, there were uh, uh, the largest population of free blacks in the United States and probably even North America. Mm-hmm. Um, there were rec- recent Irish immigrants uh, who were scrapping for the bottom rung of the ladder, uh, the economic ladder with, with the African-Americans. There were uh, many German artisans uh, who had more advantages than those other two groups. And then above everybody else was the old English stock that uh, certainly was not interested in giving away their, uh, their privileges in that society. Now, there was also crisis between uh, labor and, uh, uh, and owners. The opening day of the book is the day of the Philadelphia general strike in which 20,000 people, uh, workers, went on strike in Philadelphia. And uh, that provided a great uh, amount of turmoil for me to, to immerse myself in. And then, of course, there was the uh, budding anti-slavery movement and i say budding because uh, and i'm just making these numbers up because there um, obviously was no polling during the day during that era but uh, probably about 95 percent of the people uh in the north uh if they even thought about it were were tacitly thought slavery was an appropriate thing there wasn't the, the the anti-slavery movement at the time was almost non-existent, and uh, and there were people like Lucretia Mott and many other Quakers who were working uh, to make it happen, but they were not particularly popular in the area uh, or in the era either. 
And, uh, and of course, many of the uh, African Americans were working uh, in a uh, sub, uh, in, uh, un- working behind the scenes. And um, the, the term Underground Railroad was just becoming known at that time. And so uh, a number of my characters are involved in the Underground Railroad. Uh, and then, lastly, there's the issue of fire companies. Fire companies were an old established institution in Philadelphia, going all the way back to Ben Franklin's era. But by this time, they'd become much more corrupt. They engaged in extortion and theft and uh, even arson in order to drum up business for themselves. So uh, all those things were going on, and I take advantage of all of them. Yeah, I mean, attentions in Philadelphia in 1835 sounds remarkably like uh, the tensions in our country even today when you talk about the racial tensions, the uh, the tensions with immigrants and so on. It seems like a almost a never-ending tale. Well, uh, as you know, Lawrence, um, Mark Twain uh, said uh, he's not sure that history repeats itself, but it certainly rhymes. Right. And and I uh, I've tr- I don't I don't hammer that home, but anybody with a sense of what's going on in the country today certainly is going to be able to pick this up. Yeah. So I want to pick your brain a little bit about about slavery in Pennsylvania because it's an area I've studied. Could you repeat that, please? I said I want to pick your brain a little bit about slavery in Pennsylvania. Yes. And uh, it's an area that I've studied a bit. And I, I know 1780, before the U.S. Constitution, Pennsylvania passed an abolition bill that uh, gradually emancipated the slaves in Pennsylvania. Right. And by about 1840, so soon after your your kickoff here, uh, slaves were almost non-existent as far as being residents of Pennsylvania. Obviously, lots mm-hmm. of freemen, people coming into Pennsylvania, bringing their slaves with them from the south temporarily and then returning to the south. That kind of thing happened. But uh, I also know that the... The Quakers and the Anabaptist Germans, especially uh, during colonial times, were against slavery. And, you know, that small group did have an undercurrent of abolition. But what do you think was happening uh, that really brought to the forefront abolition? Was there something that occurred right around this time or soon after? Well, there was a number of things. And this is a great question. And as we progress through um, through my books, this uh, this is exactly what I'm going to deal with. Uh, in other words, why did public opinion change at this time? The, the economies, uh, when I start the book, the economies of the North and South, South are just so inextricably linked. Uh, cotton growing in the in the South was being milled by um, uh, into cloth by uh, folks in Philadelphia, in Massachusetts. Um, insurance companies uh, insured the ships that uh, brought the cotton to the north. Um, uh, banks loaned to southern to southern uh, plantation owners. So, the, it, it, and goods were cheaper. It was just more convenient to buy slave uh, uh, created goods like sugar and molasses and rice. Uh, and cotton, but as the as um, people became more polarized, um, people had to take sides on one t- uh, one side or the other. There were a number of events that occurred in 1838. 
Pennsylvania passed a new constitution from, uh, from the late 1870s or um, 1780s um, to 1838. Black people or black men in Pennsylvania had the right to vote. The new constitution took that right away. Um, that put some people on the on uh, back on their heels a little bit. And then uh, what was occurring nationally also was affecting people. Um, the uh, Missouri Compromise was done away with. Uh, bleeding Kansas, which was essentially a civil war between those who were pro-slavery and those who were anti-slavery, uh, occurred in the in Kansas in the 1850s. There um, was uh, Harriet Beecher Stowe's uh, um, book, Uncle Tom's Cabin, which people read. It was uh, obviously a novel, but uh, people um, took it to heart. Uh, and, and then um, finally, there was the Dred Scott decision, which uh, basically said that black people have no rights whatsoever, meaning slaves have no rights whatsoever, and uh, and did away with um, much of um, much of the compromise legislation that had been uh, created as the country became in- increasingly polarized. And I think it really forced people to come down one way or another. Um, is, is this an okay thing, meaning slavery, or is it not? And increasing numbers of people said no this is not this is not good yeah yeah obviously not <laughs> at least when we look at it from today and uh, it it's hard to believe that more people weren't reacting to this sooner in our history uh, but well you know i think there are parallels even in our own era i mean there are um uh, there are, or were at least, I don't know the latest, there were shoe factories in China in which um, there were tremendous abuses going on. Uh, and, and people were marginally aware of it if they wanted to read the news articles about it. But the fact of the matter is they got cheap sneakers, so it wasn't that important. So I think you can draw your parallels uh, any way you want. All right. Well, we're going to take another break. We're talking to Roger Smith, the author of The Conductor, Ryan Krieger's Journey, Book One. Sunbury Press Books is your home for the writings of independent authors. Loch Ness Books is our young adult imprint, including Joe Harvey's Summer Changes Everything, Deanne Baker's The Boaters Club, and Arcane Maurer's Forbidden Powers series. Find these and other books by diverse authors at sunburypress.com. We're back talking to Roger Smith, the author of The Conductor, Ryan Krieger's Journey, Book One. Uh, I wanted to delve into the character, and just uh, for the sake of argument, uh, 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 Lawrence, uh, her name is pr- pronounced Rian, and I chose <laughs> that name. Be, uh, it's Irish, and uh, it can it is used as both a boy's and a girl's name, and that's going to become very uh, germane as the as the narrative progresses. That that's great, Rian. Okay, well, I think this whole recording, we I've been saying it wrong, and I apologize for that. No worries. My apologies no to Rian. You know, that just goes back to uh, why we sometimes phonetically in our script, we things that we're not sure to pronou- how to pronounce them, we we put that in so uh, we narrator- narrators know how to pronounce things. And I had just assumed. So, Rian, right? Rian, I'm saying it correctly now. So, Rian, Krieger's Journey. Um, tell us a little bit about Rian. And, and Rian is up? the uh, daughter of a uh, German 
uh, carriage maker and a uh, deceased uh, Irish woman. Uh, her mom died in the um, cholera uh, epidemic of 1832 when Rian was eight. Um, Rian is feisty. I think you're going to find most young female protagonists uh, are feisty, but uh, uh, Rian uh, puts the brakes on in, in many different instances. She refuses to wear uh, dresses. She gets into fights. She's uh, on the uh, in the opening scene of the first book. You find out that she's been kicked out of her third school uh, for fighting, and uh, it, it's it, it's very interesting. I, I was I just uh, a couple of days ago was in the Norman Rockwell Museum, and there was a Saturday Evening Post cover of a young girl. Uh, with a black eye sitting in the principal's office and she's smiling. She's obviously gotten into a fight and, um, and she obviously won. And I think that, um, on some, some liberal, subliminal level, uh, she was my model for Rian Krieger. Uh, so anyway, Rian is a very precocious individual. She, uh, her father takes her into his shop out of frustration because no, no other schools are available. And uh, she uh, has found an element that she loves, making carriages. And then Otto is in the process of switching his carriage-making shop into a, uh, a, a shop that builds railroad cars. Hmm. And uh, so railroading becomes um, a, a, a theme throughout the book. So Rian, based on the... Uh introduction the brief introduction i read she gets introduced into the underground railroad and some of these other characters how does that yes. transition happen is it through her work at the carriage works through her the laborers that are there so there's there's two answers to your question the first is that uh, rian's next door neighbor is lucretia mott who is one of my heroes in life and has been one of my heroes uh forever uh, she lived at 136 North 9th Street in Philadelphia, and I put Otto and uh, Otto, who's the carriage maker, and his daughter Rian right next door. So through Lucretia, uh, we meet uh, frequent visitors to her house, like um, William Lloyd Garrison, John Quincy Adams, um, the, the abolitionist Benjamin, Benjamin Lundy, and then um, two individuals uh, who were uh, very prosperous free blacks, James Gordon and, and Robert Purvis. The other way that uh, Rian gets involved in the Underground Railroad, not just anti-slavery, is uh, the foreman at Otto's factory is uh, a guy by the name of Jules Freeman. Jules is a, a self-emancipated slave, meaning he's an escaped slave. And uh, he uh, saved Otto's life uh, um, 15 years before the, the, before the uh, uh, novel starts. And the two of them uh, have been, their lives have been intertwined ever since. So we have a black man, one of the few in charge of whites in, uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, so he, Jules has to wrestle with, with all of those particular issues. And on the side, his, uh, his night gig is operating as a station master in the Underground Railroad. And through a sequence of happenstances, Rian gets involved with Jules. Very interesting. So it's the next door neighbor where all this activity is happening. Very interesting. Now, that 
house, no, you said North 9th Street. How close is yes. that to the Germantown section? Uh, it's south of Germantown by a couple of miles. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in, a, in future books, there we actually get to the Germantown Road, but uh, uh, Germantown never becomes a, a focal point for any of our any of the scenes. I just asked that because I, and that's familiar to you, right? That's kind oh, yeah. of your your bailiwick. Yeah, yeah, that's where a lot of my uh, ancestors go through Germantown. I'm just curious with the Krieger, Krieger name, but I think we talked about this where uh, he was a later immigrant, not a colonial era immigrant. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. not okay. not the wave that uh, brought your people to uh, to America. Right. So, uh, well, we got a few minutes left. Let's let's talk about the series and what your goals are, maybe for the characters, at least what you can tease us with. Oh, um, it's it's this is actually great fun for me. I one of the things that I've learned through many of the uh, uh, writing um, uh, conferences that I've been to is that there's two kinds of authors. There's plotters, those who plot out everything, and there's pantsers, those who fly by the seat of their pants, and when they start a scene, <laughs> they have no idea where it's going. I'm definitely a plotter. In uh, in book two, Rian uh, uh, is faced with the um, with the reality that she's going to be sent to a finishing school in Switzerland. And rather than do that, she runs away to Russia uh, and causes uh, an international incident. Um, in book three, uh, we see Rian from age uh, 15 to 17. So um, there's a, a whole bunch of adolescents that... Uh, adolescence angst that uh, that occurs and uh, that's and Rian falls in love and then in uh, so that finishes my first of three trilogies and then in book four Rian uh, escapes Philadelphia for a, a, a bunch of different reasons and ends up in Newport Pennsylvania where, which is where I used to live mm-hmm. for 41 years and then after that, uh, Rian goes to St. Louis and becomes a 49er heading for San Francisco during the gold rush. Um, and we see Rian again uh, in San Francisco and then back in uh, America or Eastern America, uh, all over the country in the lead up to the civil war and and that is referencing back to where we were talking before um where rian sees how dramatically uh public opinion has changed from um from the time that she left in the um in the late 1840s so you're you're going to see not only philadelphia change but also public opinion change okay very interesting and uh yeah with just a couple minutes to go maybe talk mm-hmm. a little bit about some of the activities you have going on, any events you'd like to mention or uh, promotions, anything you're doing as an author with the series? Well, I, I, live, on, uh, I, I live on Cape Cod, so I've got a, a number of speaking engagements lined up um, locally. And uh, then my intention is to um, also head to Philadelphia, which obviously just because of the locale is going to be hopefully a place where uh, uh, people are going to find an interest in, in my books. And uh, my assumption is that it's going to take a while for interest to uh, build. I think by the time I get to my third book that uh, 
there'll be enough locations and enough uh, depth so that people become invested in my characters. My my goal, my overriding, overarching goal for my series is to create a sense of empathy for people who are um, different. Uh, and that difference can go in a whole bunch of different ways. But uh, I, I want people to become invested in my characters so that they uh, develop the kind of an understanding and then maybe transfer some of what my folks are uh, wrestling with in the um, uh, antebellum era uh, to uh, the modern era and say, uh, holy macro, maybe I could reach out more than I'm actually doing. Yeah. Well, Roger, you've done a great job here with the first book. I uh, look forward to having you back as we talk about the others. With nine books, that's a lot of shows. <laughs> we'll have a lot to talk about. I'll, I'll, I think we will, yes. I'll also learn a lot more about history along the way. Well, that's that. Uh, as a former history teacher, I like to sneak in a little learning along the way. All right. Well, it's been great having you. It's been a pleasure. We've, we've been talking to Roger Smith, the author of The Conductor, Rian Krieger's Journey, book one. This has been the Sunbury Press Book Show. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Sunbury Press Book Show on the BookSpeak Network. Check out our website at www.sunburypress.com for our latest releases. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter to receive special offers and discounts.